You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I say to you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Well, if you have a Bible in front of you and wish to follow uh, what we're going to be thinking about, uh, it's Mark's Gospel and Chapter 10, and we're looking at the passage between verses 17 and 31. So this morning we have the rich young man, and perhaps already you're thinking, well... <laughs> That's really nothing to do with me. Um, And for that matter, uh, nor is it anything to do with perhaps most of the congregation, unless, uh, you know, Bill Gates or Richard Branson have sort of slipped in uh, at some point. I mean, you know, the preacher's got it wrong. There's nobody here who's rich. Well, I believe that the Bible in its entirety is relevant for every one of us. And so what Mark is doing here in his gospel, he's included this encounter between Jesus and the rich young man. And through this, he's seeking to teach you and me something. And it's that that I want us to look at this morning. So first of all, as we read through this passage, we notice a young man who has a need. A young man who has a need. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, 
a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And I guess we're already thinking, well, who is this young man? What, what, what else do we know about him? Well, Luke also records this same encounter for us in chapter 18 of his gospel. And Luke tells us a little bit more of the background of this young man. He tells us that he was a ruler, a man with authority, and we can learn from this that he was probably an elder of the local synagogue. But here we see this young man coming before Jesus with a deep felt need. A deep need that being young, that being rich, that being powerful, that being respected by his local community, and indeed being sincerely religious, does not fulfill. There's something vital missing in this young man's life. All is not well. And you know that is actually quite common And maybe you have met or even know people like this young man. On the face of it, they have everything, but nevertheless are not happy with themselves. They know that they are really living behind a facade. Their outward appearance is a mere veneer that covers up the ugly reality inside. Such a person in one sense has everything, but in another sense, deep down they know they really have nothing. Nothing of true, lasting value. You see, a person may have a comfortable house, they may have money to spare, they may have a good life with good friends, they might even have a good job and a good family, and yet there is still something vital missing from their lives. And we understand that this young man was even a churchgoer. In fact, more than that, he was an elder of his local church. But he knew that there was something missing in his life. Do you recognize this kind of person? Have you ever been there yourself? And so we read that this young man ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him. And he did this in spite of his own financial clout and in spite of his position of respect within the local town where he lived. Even as a revered elder of his synagogue, he knew himself that he was no equal to Jesus. And he wasn't too proud to let Jesus know this. And he wasn't even too proud to let others see him express this. Remember... This was a public meeting. He would no doubt be surrounded by those who knew him, his fellow townsfolk. And maybe in contrast, just for a moment, we can consider Nicodemus, another character who really desperately wanted to see Jesus. Nicodemus the Pharisee, but he was too afraid to do it publicly. He went to Jesus secretly. He met Jesus at night, in the dark, so that no one else would know or find out. This young man was not like Nicodemus. He runs to Jesus and he falls at his knees in public. And what's more, he even admits in public what his problem is. 
Again, verse 17, we read this. He says, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, remember, this is a religious leader speaking here. And fancy having to ask such a basic question. More than likely, he would have some explaining to do next Saturday at the synagogue. But this young man recognizes that he has this need and he is determined to try and sort it out. And he is sufficiently determined to find an answer to this need that he runs to Jesus and falls to his knees in public. And I wonder how you and I would have responded if we had been in that position. Would you and I be a Nicodemus and do it in secret? Or would we have been open like this young man. He asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know he's come to exactly the right person for the answer, hasn't he? You don't do better, you can't get closer to learning about eternal life than to going to Jesus. But what is really informative here is what Jesus did not say in his reply to this young man's question. You see, Jesus didn't actually bring the gospel to this young man. We see no masterclass here in gospel presentation. Jesus didn't begin with the gospel, as you and I might be tempted to, if somebody like this young man said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Now, for Jesus, the conversation begins with God. And you know, anyone who is confronted by God are always confronted by what God has to say. And that's all to do with God's law. And this is exactly what Jesus does for this young man. Verse 18, Jesus responds, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good Except God alone. Jesus in his answer confirms for the young man that God is alone is good. And I guess this tells us that this young man has not fully recognized who Jesus is. He probably sees him as a great teacher, but has not made that vital connection that Jesus, though a man, is in fact also God. God alone is good. And you cannot separate the goodness of God from the word of God and the law of God. And this is what Jesus does next. He speaks of God's law. In verse 19, you know the commandments, he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. What Jesus does here is to confront this young man with the law of God, with the Ten Commandments, in fact. And it's at this point then that Jesus exposes the young man to that which is missing from his life. But it's interesting that we see now the young man has a knee-jerk response. No longer timid before Jesus. He says, teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. The young man who came to Jesus in humility responds in pride as soon as he's challenged. And you know his answer tells us exactly what is the missing element in his life, doesn't it? 
It tells us why he felt sure that he lacked this one thing of eternal life. And the reason behind it is this. This young man actually has no sense of his own sinfulness. He's no sense of his sinfulness before God. He desires eternal life, but his desire has come only on the basis of his own emptiness. In a sense, this young man is really turning around to Jesus and saying, well, Jesus, what you've said is no problem to me. I'm religious. I'm a believer. I always do good. Just ask these people around me. They, they knew who I am and, and how good I am. And actually, he turns out to be a very self-confident young man in terms of his own self-righteousness. And he doesn't seem to be in the slightest bit worried about his own standing before God. And we see here then how God's law can expose a person. And our own needs always have their root in our standing before God. And it was imperative here that this young man should recognize that his life was actually a living offense before God. And as we read on, we we notice that Jesus doesn't offer any relief to this situation. He doesn't, at this point, offer words of comfort to the young man. For unless this young man sees the seriousness of his own sin, and how offensive his sin is before the holiness of God, then there's nothing more that Jesus can do for him. Are you and I like this young man? Well, of course we are. I can say confidently, as this young man did, that I haven't committed murder. Uh, I've not robbed anyone, well, not recently, and technically at least I I don't lie. But what makes a person good? Jesus has already told us that God alone is good. And you see, we must be able to view our own hearts in the same way that God sees them. A heart that has the capability of hating, a heart that can be lustful. A heart that can get a kick out of the misfortune of other people. A heart that can shade the truth. A heart that is selfish. A heart that is selective when it comes to compassion. A heart that refuses to bow entirely to the word of God. All too familiar, isn't it? Yes, that list has made me feel uncomfortable too. But we know how easy it is for you and for me to be self-righteous, to deny our shortcomings, and instead to try and cling on to those things that look good. And it was the same self-righteousness of this young man that was his downfall. You see, no one can be saved on the basis of their righteousness, their own self-righteousness. It simply can't be done. And so Jesus, in response to this young man's question, has exposed the real need within this young man's life. But he goes on then to make a demand. So let's look at the demand that Jesus makes of this young man. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And do notice that vital detail here that Mark tells us that Jesus loved this young man. 
But even the love of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus could not overlook this young man's sin. Jesus could see all the good characteristics in this young man, but he could also see this fatal flaw. And what Jesus does here is to challenge this young man, to challenge his claim that he is righteous and good by making a demand on him. If you like, Jesus is testing the young man through this demand. Well, this young man has already claimed to keep God's law perfectly. And he even claims to keep it to the last letter. But you know, God's law includes that instruction to love your neighbour as yourself. So for this young man, it should be no problem at all to give up all his money and possessions and to give them to the poor who are his neighbours. After all, this young man, by his own admission, keeps the law perfectly, doesn't he? Well, of course he doesn't. Now, let's be quite sure of one thing here. What Jesus is not teaching you and me is that we can be saved by giving to charity. Even if our giving is sacrificial and generous in the extreme, the message here is not actually about money. What this passage is teaching you and me is this. And it's very simple. It says, put God first over everything else. Make Jesus Christ your first love. You see, without complete fulfillment of this condition that the Lord Jesus Christ is first in your life, Without that, there can be no eternal life for you and me. And you know that's tough. It's really tough. Because we are so tempted to enjoy so many other things. And you know, verse 22 is a tremendous verse of despair. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's just recap for a moment. This young man, we assume he was intelligent. We assume that he knew the scriptures. He was even prepared to bow down before Jesus in a public situation. And we're told this little detail that Jesus loved him. But we also read that he went away sad because he had great wealth. And though Jesus loved this man, he could not overlook the young man's sin and the young man's own insistence that he was in his own strength fully righteous before God. Jesus could not take this young man on the young man's terms. So for you and me, does it mean that we have to give up all our wealth and possessions and give them to the poor if we have any hope of being saved? Well, no, that's not actually what's taught here. And I want you for a moment to cast your minds back to Abraham 
And if we read in the Old Testament, we discover that Abraham was a very rich man indeed. He had vast wealth. We're also told that he was a friend of God. And did God in any position say to Abraham, you must choose between your money and me? Well, no, God never did that. Instead, God said to Abraham, you must choose between me or your son. Remember Isaac, the apple of Abraham's eye, the son that he'd waited for for so long. He'd given up all hope of ever having a son and heir and miraculously Isaac was born. How Abraham must have loved that child Isaac. But God tested Abraham and he said you must choose between your son or me. Can you see the principle now? What we are being taught through this passage in Mark's Gospel is that nothing in life can come between ourselves and God. Our first love must be the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know the very first of the Ten Commandments is this. You shall have no other gods before me. This young man's God was his wealth. Abraham was tested by God to determine whether his son Isaac was actually his God or not. That is why this message in Mark 10 is so important for you and for me today. So we ask ourselves the question, do I, do you have a secret God of your own? Is there something you struggle with because you like it and you are tempted by it time and time again? Is there something or someone in your life who means more to you than the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, you and I need to examine ourselves about such things. And we really do need to be totally honest before God. Mark tells us that this, the young man's face, fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And do you know what happened next? Jesus let the young man go. Jesus didn't run after him and say, let's talk about things a little more. Perhaps we can work something out. All we read is that the young man went away sad. And you know, that's the last that we ever hear of him in the Bible. Does that not make you tremble? It does me. How easy it was for this young man who knew that he had a need, who had found Jesus and had even spoken face to face with Jesus and was loved by Jesus. He was that close. But he went away sad and that is it. His money meant more to him than anything else, even than eternal life. And so it's a very solemn message to you and me, isn't it? The principle is simple, it's clear. You cannot be a Christian unless Jesus is the Lord of your life. Unless Jesus Christ is your first love. And if that's not the case, you too will walk away sad, just as this young man did. I find this passage in scripture actually heartbreaking 
I think it's one of the saddest passages in the whole of the Bible when you actually look at what's happened here. How close a person can come to Jesus, how close they can come to eternal life, but still allow the rubbish of this world to take first place. It's something we need to be aware of. But before we go away miserable, let's finally look and find some encouragement from this passage because there is encouragement for you and me who are Christians. Because Jesus goes on to speak to his disciples about eternal reward. In verse 23 we read that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then we read that the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we read there and we get a sense of how amazed these disciples were at witnessing what had been said and what had happened. They had watched this young man come to Jesus, but go away empty. They must have been devastated, for they were just used to seeing people come to Jesus and being saved and being healed. And so for the disciples, this too was an exceptionally sad experience. To see that the world's grip on a person can even overrule the very words and the very presence of Jesus. This young man had been face to face with the Saviour himself. And it's for this reason that they, in despair, ask of each other in verse 26, who then can be saved? They can't quite understand it. Who then can be saved? And Jesus, overhearing them, replies this in verse 27, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Do notice the context of those words, won't you? Jesus is specifically addressing the disciples' question about who can be saved. And Jesus said when it comes to salvation, all things are possible with God. And doesn't that come as the most wonderful message to you and me? Yes, we have been saved. We know the wonder of being saved But you know all things are possible with God. That member of your family that you've been praying for for years to become a Christian. Don't give up hope. It's not in your strength. Even the most hardened person against Christianity. All things are possible with God. That's wonderful encouragement. You see, it takes a miracle to, rich, to save a rich man, to turn his focus from the God of money to the true God of heaven. That takes a miracle. But you know it took a miracle to save you and to save me, didn't it? We must rejoice at the wonderful truth that we have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All things are possible with God and praise his name for that. You see, it's only with God that all things are possible. You and I can contribute nothing to our own salvation. We can only ever be saved on the basis of the death of Jesus on the cross. Because he alone has paid that price to redeem us from the penalty of our sin. 
And it's only through his sacrifice that has made possible what humanly was impossible. But you know, one day everybody will meet face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's guaranteed. Jesus said it would happen. And on that day, every one of us will have to give an answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, on that day, what can we offer? Well, I used to live in a fine house, but uh, I don't have it any longer. I used to be an influential person with power and authority, but uh, I have nothing now. You know, I was the life and the soul of every party, always making my friends laugh. But I'm on my my own now. What will our rich young man have to offer on the day of judgment? His wealth that made him sad? On the day of judgment, our young man will have absolutely nothing. But there's the contrast, because you and I, who have put Jesus Christ first in our lives, we will be able to say with boldness, I have Jesus Christ. He is everything to me. He is my saviour. He died for me, and it was his blood that paid the debt of my sin. And we can say boldly on that day, I cannot be condemned because I am in Christ. And we can even quote that verse from chapter 8 of Paul's letter to the Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And on that day we can say with utter conviction, Jesus is my first love. And you know on that day it will not be a sad day for you and me. It will be a day of great joy, a day that will last for eternity because it will be the first day of an infinite number of days. And days that we will share together with the Lord Jesus Christ in the very kingdom of God. And you and I will be there as co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you take that in? I think it's beyond human comprehension. But whatever we can grasp, it's a wonderful truth. What better future can we ever imagine than that? And you know, Peter says to Jesus in verse 28, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus answers, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. The account of this rich young man is very sad indeed. He was that close to following Jesus. But he went away sad because the world meant too much for him. He just couldn't bear to give it up and put Jesus first. And you know, maybe, well, we know that we are Christians. And I hope everybody this morning knows that in their own lives for sure. 
But as Christians, we must be on our guard. Don't try to get into bed with the world. Do try really hard not to succumb to any of those temptations that are there to attract us each day. Don't even flirt with the world. Don't even toy with anything that the world would seek to make attractive to you. Imagine for a moment that you own a castle and it's up on a hill and there's a very steep road with a very sheer drop by the side of it. And uh, you're wealthy enough to hire a chauffeur and you put out the advert and three people turn up one day and you say, see that bit of road? How are you going to drive along that piece of road? And the first one says, well, I'm a really good driver. I can I can probably drive you about uh, a meter towards the edge of that cliff. Um, you know, that, that I'm a good driver. You you should take me on. And the next driver comes along and says, ha, "I can get to within three inches of the edge, even when the road is crumbling away. I'm such a good driver. I can do it to within three inches." And the third man says, "I always put safety first. It's my policy when I drive to be as far away from that edge as I possibly can. Which driver would you hire? And when you put that in our own context in the life that we live in, how close are you going to toy with the world? How close are you going to get to that edge? Which driver would you emulate in your walk with God? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? And you know, the Apostle Paul makes a very helpful statement about how he viewed his worldly wealth in the light of Christ. And he says this in Philippians, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And he goes on to say this, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Do let us pray that we too may follow Paul's example So then, remember how much the Lord Jesus loves you. We thought earlier about Jesus, the Good Shepherd, how he guards us, how he holds us firmly in his hand, because he is, he regards you as being so precious. He will not let you go. He loves you more than you're possibly able to love him. And he loves you as much today as he will ever love you in heaven. Remember that. So do pray for Help on a daily basis, won't you? And be on your guard against anything that would seek to compete with the Saviour and Lord who is the first love of your life. And in so doing, be greatly encouraged and motivated by our Lord's wonderful promise that for all who follow him, there is indeed the guarantee of eternal life. Do make sure that Jesus Christ remains your first love, won't you?
Amen.